friends, um, and welcome to another episode of Fully Booked. I'm Megan. And I'm Shireen. And today we're going to be talking about Romeo and Juliet. And now, not the play, we're going to be talking about 1996's Romeo plus Juliet, directed by Baz Luhrmann, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, and all kinds of fabulous iambic pentameter shenanigans. So good. <laughs> we're going to be talking about Hawaiian shirts. We're going to be talking about guns that have sword names on them. <laughs> Anything that you want from a movie, yeah. really. Leonardo in the 90s where he had that like, floppy hair oh, thing so going good. on. Yeah. <laughs> just a lot of different things. The movie has many elements and we're going to discuss them and we're probably going to forget about a lot of them. So it should be fun. <laughs> um, before we get started though, uh, so what's going on this week, Shereen? What's on your nightstand? What are you reading? So um, this week I am reading, well I haven't started it yet. It's a book called... House of Earth and Blood, and it's by uh, Sarah Maas. Maas? I think it's Maas. I think um, everybody knows who that is, right? She's, isn't she, she a really popular fantasy author? She wrote the Throne of Glass oh, series. Oh, that's why. Yeah. Um, and that's the reason why I picked up this book, is because I read the Throne of Glass. I thought it was fabulous. <laughs> it had anything you wanted from a uh, young adult fantasy series, but... It was a little bit spicy and steamy a lot of the time. It, it really. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and so wow. for like young adult, you're like, oh, we're like crossing over All into right. the new realms here. So um, anyway, apparently this one's supposed to be even spicier. So I'm like, all right, let's go. This um, is a hefty looking book you have in front of you. <laughs> it's a really heavy book. Um, <laughs> the reason why I picked this one up as well is because the second one just came out called The House of Sky and Breath. I think uh, the series is Crescent City. So um, if anybody's read it, check it out. Tell me what you thought about yeah. it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get going on this. Um, I believe this is about uh, <laughs> over 700 pages, uh, 800 pages long. So let's go. Just the right size for you. <laughs> <laughs> I also just started, so do not have an opinion on for the time being, a book called Secret Identity by Alex Segura, which was just published earlier this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's set in the 70s. It's about basically a struggling like comic book artist or want to be comic book artist who gets enveloped in a mystery with one one of her she's about to be able to publish something on her own and one of her colleagues winds up dead and she's got to figure out who did it. Ooh. It just sounded super fun. The cover is really great. It's got like little comic things all over it. Right up your street. I love it. I love it. It's fun. <laughs> I think it's got like a little bit of a noir element to it. I've just started it. I have no opinion currently, but I'm looking forward to to getting into it and seeing how it is. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't think we really have anything else to talk about. Obviously, we're still in the middle of Classics Month here on the podcast, but also over on our website at fullybooked.ca. So if you guys want to head over there, you can check out all of the coverage this month, everything we're talking about. We have a lot of back catalog of Classics articles as well. Um, yeah, if you're looking for some ideas or if you want to just hear us blather on paper as opposed to audio coming through your speakers, then you can just check us out over there. Um, so yeah, without further ado, I think we should get into it. Let's talk about Romeo plus Juliet. Rum and Jewel. Did my heart love till now? Forswear at sight. For I never saw true beauty till this night. <laughs> so, Romeo 
plus Juliet. Plus Juliet. So I think it's important, the plus, because, like, when you see that, that's the Baz Luhrmann one. I think everybody knows that, though. I think yeah. everybody knows that Romeo and Juliet could be one of, like... I don't know how many adaptations yep. at this point have been made, Whether you, especially if you count like BBC adaptations and things like that. But yep. if you get out of that and more modern, that's what you get into. You get to your Romeo plus Juliet, Juliet. which is yeah. what we're looking at today. Yep. So the Baz Luhrmann adaptation from... 1996. 1996. 1996. And I have to say, watching it in 2022, that movie felt like 1996. It sure did. It has, <laughs> oh man, the 90s vibes are forever, forever. The cars, the costumes, I mean the music's fabulous, but the, everything the is like so... dark, like LA, yeah. grungy, like gangster feel that they had going on. Oh my god, yeah. So good. Yeah, they were really, they were really going for it, which I can appreciate. So... Okay, hang on. Before we get started with it, yeah. So, Romeo Plus, Juliet, um, released in 1996, currently has a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb. So, like, middle middle of the road, I think, for people. Middle of the road. And I think it really depends on what your feeling is about Romeo and Juliet. That will definitely um, play on your opinion about this movie, because... If you're a hardcore theater lover, this is probably not for you. No, I think, yeah, if you, if you appreciate, like, classic theater and sort of, like, more classic vibes and, I guess, direct adaptations, like, it's, it's not going to be your thing. And even on top of that, even with the modernization of it, some people just don't like Shakespeare and they're just not going to be about that whole situation at all. No, and I think, you know... When you when you look at the movie, so if you if we start breaking it down, you look at the opening scene and it's it's like a a tiny TV screen with like this dark surrounding, yeah. and she's really summarizing what happened in the story, but then she's speaking in you know the the Shakespearean language, and that really gives you that feeling of hang on a second, what are we in for here? <laughs> because. <laughs> Because I think that that's the only way of describing this movie is that you're in for something. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I don't know though, I kind of, I don't know what it is, I, I fucking love the newscaster, like, doing the prologue. Normally you just have a person who walks out, they speak whatever, you know, the prologue of the, of it is. I think in the play, originally it's meant to be the prince that does it, like, each time. Right. He's the one who gives uh, the address at the beginning and the end. He sort of ties everything together as, like, the narrator of sorts. Um, But I fucking love this, like, a newscast that's just, like, that's, like, oh, yeah, like, look at all this craziness going on in the city. Although, (laughs) the first, like, three scenes of this film are so incredibly chaotic it's oh really gosh. difficult to pay attention to but, anything but it's like it's like sensory overload oh you know you start with this epic chanting this documentary visual that's happening and then you've got like this like epic narration happening in the background but while you're seeing like these very like modern 90s visuals i suppose um and then, you know, the next thing I wrote down is that Paul Rudd is Paris. Yay! Yeah, which we just see in, like, on, like, Time Magazine, basically, like, on the cover. Because I guess he's supposed to be, like, the rich son of someone. It's unclear. Unclear. It's unclear, fine. It doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter because he's Paul Rudd. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Looking like Paul Rudd, so that's fine. I, yeah, so they obviously, you know, they did a good job of, like, 
uh, Baz Luhrmann did a really good job of like modernizing certain things. Yes, okay, the look of it, but also like you know still keeping for people who know the place, still keeping like the general vibe of it. So it's like Verona Beach. Uh, the play is set in Verona in Italy. This is like Verona Beach, California, and yeah. it, but it feels. I said this while we were watching the movie. It feels like post-apocalyptic California. It feels like an apocalypse has happened. I I suppose because of the animosity between the two families and the infighting that's happening and then because of that it's become just the whole place is overrun with crime and horribleness and a lot of Hawaiian shirts a lot of Hawaiian shirts and like the whole opening scene at the gas station it's almost comical as you're watching it like there's all these Hawaiian shirts and and their expressions and the way that they act is just so over the top that you're like what is happening? Like, are we are we watching a satire of Romeo and Juliet? Or are we watching an actual adaptation? And so this is what I love so much about this movie is that you feel like you're going in one direction and then all of a sudden Lerman takes you in another direction. You know, this this scene is a perfect example. You've got the Hawaiian shirts. You've got the, you know, the woman bashing him on the head yeah. with her handbag, <laughs> yeah, which is never going to hurt him because her handbag looks like a leather cushion. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, and he's just swatting her away. And then all of a sudden, like, Tybalt arrives and, like, now, now things are serious. Um, and I just, you know, this is the entire opening scene. And then all of a sudden you're kind of feeling like, Am I watching Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? I'm not really sure. Um, but then you've got these scary Capulets who have come out with their Virgin Mary and their Jesus everywhere. Oh, my God. And, like, then you're thinking back to the Romeo plus Juliet, and you're like, oh, are we going more, you know, churchy with this one? <laughs> like, <laughs> the religious connotations. Although, that, like, yeah, there's something really heavily Catholic about the Capulets in this. Right. And I don't know <laughs> if it's just my, like, incorrect, I guess remembrance of the play or of anything that has to do with that I don't remember if that's really like a big thing yeah that's spoken about in the play itself I don't know yeah um wow 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 uh Tybalt fights like a fucking matador it's just <laughs> with his little dancing scene like he turns around yeah. he does little spins yeah and he's stuff. on like his tiptoes for most of it as he's running across and I don't know why but my brain was thinking about Viva Rock Vegas the <laughs> Flintstones movie the whole time and so I was just really there for it <laughs> Oh my god. That would have been that would have been great. I would have been great fine crossover. with like a musical number like that in the middle of it yeah. for no reason. Um yeah, he's weirdly like fabulous at it. I don't know why. He's the with his he's, little sideburns. Oh, and his little like pinch under the chin. He might be I think of everybody, and, like, there is, like, some funny ones, but he might be the weirdest casting decision, but a mm-hmm. casting decision that works. He absolutely does. And I, I also, now that you've mentioned the casting, I think that the casting in this movie was pretty much perfect. Like, yeah. from, you know, the the Montagues coming off as, like, these big, like, brutes who kind of like Biff from oh. um, Back to the Future. Yeah. Like, they kind of had that. Uh, thing going on to them. Yeah, that was like uh, Ben Volio there. Yeah, is basically Biff. <laughs> yeah, basically, but they still pulled it off well. Um, and I just, I love the casting in this movie. And I noticed a lot of zooming in on everyone's faces to really <laughs> capture their expressions. So it much, worked. So much zooming. <laughs> but yeah, so we've got, you know, that whole thing. And then you kind of get into 
<laughs> the party. Like, I think the party is really what kicks it all off. And, and I said to you, you know, this whole um, lead up to the party where Mercutio shows up with his invitation and that just made things even more confusing. Like, I, I almost felt like it would have been better if they had snuck into the party the way that they should have. Yeah. Because then it almost took away from the level of severity of this family feud. Like, if there is a friend who fits in between the two families and is the neutral ground, then, like, what does that look like? Which is odd, too, because he isn't, as far as I remember no. from the play. He's, like, firmly planted on the Montague or in the Correct. Montague camp. Yes. So I don't, so it's strange. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And maybe I'm, I'm just misremembering, but I do, I do remember, I have a, like a, a memory of them actually just having to sneak into the party, yes. basically. I'm pretty sure because it was a, a masquerade. So. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, but um, yeah, so everything kind of starts kicking off. Um, but, you know, just before that, you've got Romeo, like, moping around. <laughs> my notes, my notes are literally, enter Romeo, the original sad boy. <laughs> because he is, and, like, DiCaprio does it so well <laughs> with his floppy hair and his floppy, like, monologue about how sad he is about, you know, this girl who he's in love with, and just basically love in general that he's talking about and I guess it's it's you know Shakespeare's way of foreshadowing so yeah um you know I really do have to give kudos to Leonardo DiCaprio in this movie because he was probably the only the only character at the beginning who was delivering his lines and we were actually listening to them yeah it was in a way where you were you were following his train of thought it wasn't simply based on like the visual Mm. of what he was physically doing with his body it was also based on the line delivery and it felt natural it felt conversational not like he was reciting dialogue but like he was actually speaking and I know that that can be difficult because obviously you know Shakespearean English is something that's in like not even close to something that we use now and so I think that translating that especially into a modern looking film a film that's set in more modern times I think it can be really difficult for um an actor to come in and be able to read that dialogue and not have it sound as though they're reading have it sound as though they're just speaking to each other everybody weirdly it's like everybody progressively gets better throughout the film which is also strange that makes no sense that's not how movie making works you don't necessarily shoot from beginning to end no so I don't know where that comes from but it definitely felt like everyone improved and I have like weird little notes where I'm suddenly like oh this person's good at this yeah now. like now this they're good as well and I think that it's because as the movie progresses like there's less um constant visual overstimulation like I really think that the first couple of scenes were just like this is what you're in for in this movie yeah and so you can't really pay attention to what's being said but once you know enter leo um then you start kind of listening a little bit more it's almost like they slowed down the pace a tiny bit so that you would keep up with things so you know because we jumped from a fight at a gas station which is ridiculous to um the Capulet mansion and her mom just being the worst because Lady Capulet's the worst right. but we all know that anyway yep. uh to Miriam Margolis as the nurse who's the fucking best she's so great she really um she's incredibly well suited to that character she stole the show yeah <laughs> 
Um, so all of, and, but it's just so much color, so much vibrancy, so much intenseness. At least Claire Danes is there a little bit to kind of bring it down, but she's almost overshadowed by everything else going on in those first couple of scenes that she's in and that first little bit of dialogue that she has. So you're not even paying attention. And then you cut over to Romeo and then it's like, they're properly like, okay, we know what you're here for because Leonardo DiCaprio would have already been, he would have done shit. What's that movie? He would have done that movie. What's eating Gilbert Grape at this point? No, this was pre-Titanic. It would have been like a couple of years before. I thought Titanic was 97, so it might have been a year before. Yeah, like a year or two before he did that. Yeah, that's it, exactly. So he, yeah, it would have been before Titanic, so he wasn't quite that big, but he had done that movie, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, with Johnny Depp. Yes. And he played a kid uh, with a mental disorder. That Yeah, that's a death I cannot remember the name of. He was a special needs kid, uh, like the younger brother. Um, Mm -hmm. And he did a really great job in that, so I think people were like really getting to know him at that point and like expecting a lot of him Mm -hmm. um so I'm sure that had something to do with it and I think that's how that had something to do with like the way he's framed in the movie the way he's shot in the movie uh where the floppy hair comes from which launched launched I'm sure a thousand girl crushes (laughs) of the 90s so I know he really did come back as you know the exact same character in Titanic Without the Shakespeare lines. Yeah, but. it was, yeah, a little bit brooding, a little bit pensive. Yeah. Because they were like, ah, it worked once it worked. before, we're going to make it work again. <laughs> so Nothing against Leonardo DiCaprio, if you're listening. So anyway. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I'm sure this will get all the way up to Pipeline to him. He'll really care what we have to say about it. Well, he might. Oh, my God. Okay, anyway. so wait, wait, okay. So hang on, where are we here? Right, so we've introduced a few different people. So we're at the party. Right, we're going to a masquerade ball. Right. Mercutio's and, in drag. Oh, He's oh, fabulous. His also, dance is they've so had, they've had drugs, right? So, yes. um, you know, it's interesting because when you read Shakespeare, there's a lot of words yes. and a lot of, you know, when you're reading the play, you have to really infer a lot of the meaning. Um, but it's so beautiful when you do take a moment to understand the imagery. What I loved about this, and, and you can really hear it in that moment where Mercutio is offering drugs to Romeo. Oh, yeah. He's using the words like the Shakespearean words and they're flipping it so it means like here buddy have some drugs basically (laughs) kind of that was a really great yeah like idea that was a really clever like little bit of sort of like screen playing it basically but yeah oh my god I fucking forgot I forgot to mention that just as soon as you see Romeo see that's another thing that works really well as soon as you see Romeo Radiohead starts playing and you're just like you're in it and we are in a full 90s movie it's full 90s era Leo we're ready for it yeah no absolutely um so then we get to this party yeah and everybody's okay (laughs) so I thought it was a masquerade party like looking at how Romeo's dressed but then you kind of they kind of zoom out a little bit like once he gets out of his um drug stupor where he's wearing a knight and you're like okay like knight in shining armor kind of thing for Claire Danes who's dancing with Paul Rudd, who's dressed as an astronaut. Oh my god, and he makes all those funny faces the whole time. He actually was stealing that scene. I wasn't even paying attention to anyone else. I was just looking at him. I was like, oh, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. It was just such a great scene. (laughs) And I really... But at the same time, like I said to you, Paul Rudd just has not aged at all. No, Paul Rudd's a vampire. (laughs) And I think everyone's well aware of that at this point. And so you're just watching it thinking, gosh, he looks the same as he does now. But Claire Danes is like 16 in this movie. So it's like a daddy-daughter dance almost. I mean, he kind of acts like it too, though. Some of the sort of gestures that he makes and some of the facial expressions he uses is almost like that. And I think it's supposed to be because he's, you know, he's his character 
is a little bit silly. Yeah. Uh, he's fun, safe choice. Yeah, yeah. like the expected choice yeah. that she should make, obviously. And so, yeah. you know, we know that it's going to go in the opposite direction. So, yeah. And then Romeo meets Juliet and uh, she's once again dressed in white. So yes. if you watch her outfits throughout this movie, she's basically dressed in white the entire movie, which again is, you know, Lerman's symbolism, which he's really good at. Right. So there's a lot of Juliet in white. And there's also a lot of water symbolism in this movie, which yeah. is really interesting because at the beginning of the movie, when you see Juliet for the first time, she's dunking her head in the water and that's what you see. And mm, she, she's got her eyes open and she looks dead. And then at the party, when um, Romeo's trying to kind of snap himself out of his drug stupor, he also dunks his head in water and has his eyes open. And comes out of that stupor to turn around to the, the fish tank, which again, yes. more water for some more reason. Water. I gotta look into that. I don't know yeah. what that's about. Um, more water. And yeah. then sees her, although that shot where they see each other and the tracking shot that follows them yeah. back and forth, but like with the fish tank, it's yeah. so beautiful. So good. It's beautifully shot there. Um, their own, like, reactions to things, yeah. especially his, are so good. Yeah. Like, there's an immediate, like, for him, you actually look at him and you're immediately like, okay, he's fallen in love with yes. somebody on the spot. And what I love the most about this, like, compared to when I read the play, um, I love Romeo and Juliet for a Shakespeare play, but the first time I read this thing, I was like, um, she's 13, this is taking place over three days, what is going on here? Um, I have to say, when you watch this movie, because of how good these two actors are, you're actually rooting for them, Yeah, which a doesn't little, happen all the time a when little you watch bit an more. adaptation. A little bit more, and yeah. more than when you, more than when you see the, uh, when you read the play, or if mm-hmm. you see, like, you know, even, like, a stage adaptation of it or something, you know, you're just kind of, you're watching this and you're like okay so they confirm they never confirm his age completely i believe that he's estimated to be like 18 to 20 mm-hmm. more or less her age that her She's mom has some about 13 yeah her mom yeah. has a line about the fact that she hasn't seen 14 yet that's yes. like a thing yes um so you know for a fact that you know she's 13 years old and so and i mean like at the time that this play was originally, you know, put written, out there, yeah. written and published and things, and put on originally, that wouldn't have been incredibly strange. Mm. I mean, granted, at the time that this play was originally uh, put out there and, like, performed for the first time, I'm sure a boy played Juliet, so... Because women right. weren't allowed on right. stage at the time anyway. Right. <laughs> Very true. Um, but, yeah, they, they fall in love. We love them for it. We're rooting for them. And... <laughs> enter the balcony scene where what happens in the play is that Romeo is hanging out underneath her balcony and she's just kind of speaking out. She's standing on the balcony. He's speaking about her. I don't believe that they actually have any exchanges in that scene in the play. He speaks to himself. He has his whole monologue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're kind of swooning about each other in their respective areas. However, what this movie decides is to have her nurse at the window where he starts the monologue realizes that it's her nurse and he's like that's gross (laughs) and so then he hides he kind of scurries up the trellis a little bit because he hears someone coming and it's Juliet who shows up and then cue the next five minutes of Romeo just kind of like hanging out on a trellis (laughs) on a trellis like two inches away from Juliet being like oh my god, should I say something? And she doesn't notice him for no. some reason. A whole ass person is hanging out <laughs> near her and he walks behind her at one yeah. point while she's speaking and she's so 
caught up in her woes, I suppose, that she just has no idea that he's right there, and it's absurd. Absurd. However, they do do a good job of it because they fall into the pool, and it's all kind of fun and playful. Um, And then you've got these security guards who I think should be fired. Yep. Because if they have all this video footage of the backyard and they can't catch these two teenagers, like, canoodling. (laughs) Fooling What good are they? Oh my god, honestly. Yeah, they, like, and there is video of it. There's a man who physically shows up at one point and does nothing, (laughs) says nothing, just, like, can't, kind of can't see him under the water and it's just like, (laughs) okay, and just leaves. He's too busy, like, ogling the 16 or 16 year old or prepubescent girl that's in the water anyway that's really strange um and then we have that line from romeo where you know she's saying to him i have to go to bed basically and his response is would you leave me so unsatisfied (laughs) i really appreciated the way that she delivered the response because i think that's always what it's meant to be is that she's kind of like what satisfaction can be had tonight where she's like excuse me um and immediately after that you know i he doesn't really they don't do it in this one he just makes it cute and is like oh yes we like we exchange of vow. Yeah, exactly. Exchange of my, you know, vow of love for, for yours, basically. Yeah. But, like, the way that I've seen it done before in adaptations of it is they're like, oh, uh, I mean, you know, the exchange of my vow of love for yours. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, yeah. That's what I meant. But really, that's just what it is. Romeo's ultimate goal is that he wants to smash, so he's got to get married first. <laughs> it's so true. And, like, you know, when you, when you think about it, if he were, like, an 18-year-old boy, like, eh, It's on brand, chance. I mean. It's pretty on brand. Like, you know, he's like, let's get married so we can smash, because I got to get married at some point anyway, so might as well. Um, anyway, side note, we know that they're all in love and stuff. Um, I mean, no, they're not. No, they're not. They're, <laughs> they're in lust. They're children. They've yeah. seen each other. They think the other one's attractive. They become immediately infatuated with one another. Well, there's also the danger of the family feud. Okay, which makes it hotter, I guess. Exactly. I don't know. I've never been in the middle of a dangerous family <laughs> feud, so I can't speak to it. No revolvers, no. No, God, the guns are so big. Oh, yeah. my God. And there's such elaborate paintings on all the guns that yes. the Capulets have. Yeah, particularly the Capulets. There's yeah. a lot of, like, religious symbolism on their yeah. guns. But the, I love, I love too, that I noticed that I hadn't paid attention to until um, when Tybalt's killed, which is later on, mm. is that all of the guns, the, the type of gun, quote-unquote, on yep. them, the name on them, is the name of a type of sword. So, like, Benvolio yes. has one called Sword, and yeah. Tybalt's is called rapier and stuff yes. because they're all yes. named after it because of course there's no no one's gonna kill each other with a long sword right but it's just it's so um <laughs> phallic as well mm. which i think you know in the original play is probably the point of all the swords as well you know like uh, yeah i mean yeah. i think there yeah there is definitely something to be said for for Shakespeare's use use of you know phallic objects from time to time, right. but you know we we went for a modern phallic symbol in this one, and they were really really big guns. Yes, uh, true. And guns. Yeah, uh. that's it. Oh my god. Um, just I have so many weird notes about just Paul Rudd dancing beautifully, and it's so <laughs> we're back. We're back. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> So they have this balcony scene. They're like, we're going to get married. We're going to smash. So next thing you know, um, 
Oh, the friar. The friar. Yeah. So Romeo goes and scurries up the, the side of the building or something. Yeah. Like he's like Romeo slash Spider-Man <laughs> and looks down on the friar who's like doing some weird thing with like, you know... Small children. Min- and poison. Poison. But they're... Yeah. He's like delivering his lines, but like when you look at it, this man is shirtless with a giant cross tattooed on his back. Yeah, that was weird. Um, with small children and he's doing some weird science experiment with plants. <laughs> but it's, it's almost like they're framing it like, but it's educational, so yeah. it's fine. You know? <laughs> and you're like, mm, what's going on here? I don't know about that. <laughs> anyway, so Romeo's like, will you marry us? And the friar's like, no, this is ridiculous. You were in love with another girl yesterday. Yesterday, and then he kind of stops and there's like this montage oh, yeah. which I really appreciate of the friar like thinking about how they might have peace if the Montagues and the Capulets um, are united by marriage and so he's like yes yeah. <laughs> I will do this. The one person who's like a grown-ass adult and maybe could have talked some sense into one of these characters and he chooses to I don't know I think they frame it where it's like he's trying to do something good but I'm like Come on! If you yeah. had thought about that for half a minute, you would have realized how <laughs> it was ridiculous. A bad idea, absolutely. Especially since Mopey McMope Face was <laughs> sad about some other chick just the day before. Sad, sad boy, original, original I'm you, OG sad boy. OG sad boy. I'm telling you, it was. And you know what? Originally in film, it was Leonardo DiCaprio in the '90s. Now it's probably Timothy Chalamet. Oh, with his big cheekbones. God, they're Baby. so sharp. You could no, cut glass. I need some. Oh, What's his face from Euphoria? Oh. Yeah, so the friar agrees to marry them, um, and Romeo's like falling over himself in excitement. Um, goes to does he go to tell Juliet? It's all become a blur already. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's basically like, hey, come and like you know he's basically goes to see. Oh no, that's not what it is. He's at the beach, right? Um, and uh, the nurse goes to see him, right? And she's like, hey. What are we? What are we doing? What's doing? Yeah, I can't believe that none of these adults are like intervening here and being like, "So." Yeah, there's uh, they're like such enablers, man. Why are you are. allowing this to happen? I mean, I guess they're. I guess it just comes with the territory, maybe. I don't know. I mean, she's like an employee, so I guess it might be a little bit different than the friar. Maybe she's less accountable for it. She's just trying to help her Julieta have like a happy Julieta. life. Yeah, that's true. Um. So yeah, so they go ahead with the marriage, and I was surprised in the movie, like, how, um, uh, like, elaborate the whole thing was, like, because they even had groomsmen, and they were there in, like, you know, a suit and a white dress and everything, like, they had that whole shebang going on. Yeah, that's true, he brings, like, that other minor character there, Balthazar, with yeah. him as, like, a witness, probably, yeah. um, and she has the nurse with her, right. and that was where I did not understand what was going on because there's, like, a guard, like, a guard in yeah. behind them. And I'm like, whose guard is this? Is it the Capulet guard? Is it yeah. a Montague guard? And why isn't he, first of all, saying, no, this is a bad idea? Yeah. And second of all, running back to the person who employs him yes. to tell I mean, them like, what's going on. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't make any sense. If she'd just gone with the nurse, I would have been like, okay, fine. Yeah. Sure. Right. But this way, this makes no sense. Totally. So they get married, everything's great, until, like, 20 minutes later, <laughs> when, <laughs> like, all, everything just goes to shit. Um, you know, the, the Capulets and the Montagues, what's his face, Tybalt shows up and wants to shoot Romeo, Romeo won't, 
you know, entertain this madness. He's being very diplomatic as far as he can be as he's yeah. being kicked in the face. Yeah. Um, and throwing his revolver away until, unfortunately, Tybalt is too much of a brute and Mercutio gets stuck in the crossfire. He was a great character in this movie. I, I know. I feel say. like, you know, we've barely talked about him, but honestly, he was one as well where at first, in, like, his first scene, I wasn't quite sure, like, how the dialogue delivery would go, mm-hmm. but by the time he started talking about the drugs mm-hmm. and then went on from that point, I was like, no, he's great. Yeah, he's he really was. good. It's, like, a really interesting interpretation of Mercutio, not just yeah. being not just being, like, that sort of boring, loyal, best friend kind yes. of thing who steps in to help Romeo right. at the last minute. Also being someone who has his own opinions about yep. the way that Romeo's being that are very clear. If you watch his face, yep. you're aware. Yes. Yeah, I have to say, I did appreciate them being a little bit more um, in-depth with his character in this mm. adaptation. And to your point, it's all down to the actor with his facial expressions <clears throat> and what a good job he did there. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. It makes a big difference. Um, you know, and then it gets, like, really dramatic when he puts the curse on both of their families because he gets shot and he's about to die. All of a sudden, like, the storm comes in and it starts to rain and then you've got that great water imagery once again. Oh, God, yeah, there's just water <laughs> everywhere. Yep. It's nuts. It's like the Little Mermaid. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Romeo and Juliet and the Little Mermaid. And the Little Mermaid, just on <laughs> off to the side. Another relationship that you're like, you are too young, this is a bad idea. Yeah. That's on next week. We'll talk about that at some point. Um, Yeah, so obviously Mercutio is killed. It's legitimately sad. And the Mm -hmm. scene was very impactfully shot. They did a really good job with that. It was actually really upsetting. And then, yeah, so, you know, runs after him. They have a tussle. There's a tussle, basically. Mm -hmm. And then by the end, you know, uh, Tybalt goes to run up the stairs and get away from him. And... You know, of course, Romeo, in his rage, picks up the gun and shoots him dead, which he immediately regrets. Yep. <laughs> Literally as soon as he does it. Yep. Um, and just causes way, way more problems. So that happens. He takes off the prince, who, by the way, we've never mentioned this whole time. The prince uh, shows up. He's like the police captain or chief yes. in this interpretation of it. He shows up and is like, oh, God, what a fucking mess. And is basically just... <laughs> that's basically all he does this whole movie. He's like, oh, what a mess. He's just there to clean up all the garbage that's going on between all of these people. What an annoying job to have. And he... So he shows up to do that. Um, you know, you've got Capulets and Montagues, Lady and Lord, all of them showing up. And... Uh, you know, yelling about, like, justice and this and that, and, you know, basically, like, oh, Tybalt needs to be avenged, so Romeo should be killed. No, you know, he only did it because Mercutio was killed, so he's done enough. I'm sure he feels bad enough, basically. And then, so finally, the prince decides, okay, you know what? He's exiled. If he, if we find him, he's dead. If we don't find him, he better just dip, basically, and move somewhere else and be done with that. So that's, basically he runs to see the friar the friar is like oh god okay so this did not go the way i was expecting it to and then bandages him up the nurse shows up and then he's like i must see my juliet who's like super upset about tybalt and like crying her eyes out about it allegedly um and then she won't go down to see uh paul rudd aka paris yeah because he's there to woo her (laughs) in the middle of all of this as well like family members are being killed people are being gunned down in the streets and this guy's just there with a bouquet of roses his character is just absurd absurd (laughs) and like lady capulet takes them we figured out you know we figured as we mentioned 
Uh, in the play, it's heavily insinuated that Lady Capulet is smashing with Tybalt. So oh, oh my god, that's yeah. that's a whole other can of worms that they don't really go into in this movie. They show them kiss once. and oh, that's they? Yeah. So it's like at, barely noticeable. Yeah, at the party, they have, like, one kiss, and you're kind of like, wait, what? And then it cuts to something else, so you don't really pay attention Register. that much. Mm-hmm. I felt like in the play, it was quite heavily implied, actually, that they yes. had, like, a side thing going on. Yes. Um, and so she's very upset Mm -hmm. by this death. So she's the one who's really, one of the ones who's really pushing for Romeo to be, uh, executed basically. That's right. And so then he shows up to see Juliet. He sneaks through her window and he is dripping wet once again. Oh, so much, so much water. We're never, it's stupid because we have no answer for it, but we're never going to stop talking about it. So much water. Baz Luhrmann, if you're listening to this, please weigh in. I just Uh, want, just send me an email or something. I would just like to know. uh, And so then he finally gets what he wants out of his, you know, I, okay. I don't feel right saying that because I like to think that Romeo is a little bit more romantic than let's get married and smash, but, um possible it's partially his goal let's be real that's that's part of it It he's just like oh yeah no we should just we should uh yeah we should get married yeah (laughs) don't leave me unsatisfied wink wink (laughs) Uh, um, so that happens it's all very sweet we see them the next morning she shoves him out the window and then she finds out that she's going she being Juliet is going to be marrying Paris on Thursday and so then she has an almighty meltdown obviously I suppose all I could keep thinking was if I were her parents I would be very confused about this attitude like it's like We've introduced you to the guy. He wore an astronaut suit. He brought you flowers. Like, what more do you want? It's Paul Rudd. And then she's having an almighty meltdown, and they know nothing about this whole thing with Romeo. Why is he dressed like an astronaut at that party? It's such a weird costume choice. He doesn't even have a helmet on. Nobody else is wearing anything that modern, side note. Everybody else is wearing things like, you know, an angel or, um, you know... I think, I think the um, Montagues are just dressed as the Montagues. Yeah, the well, part. no, Lord Capulet is dressed Capulet, as some sort sorry. of Greek yeah, uh, something, she's something. she's Cleopatra. She's Cleopatra, but he's also got, like, some sort of ancient Greek garb on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, I digress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so she has this almighty meltdown, and her father also has a meltdown right back at her. And she goes to the church to check it out because she's marrying Paris, um, and then, and then she sees the friar and she's like frantic and like beside herself saying that she's going to shoot herself if she can't, you know, get away from Paris and she doesn't want to live like this. Such and, teenage hormones. Man, I don't miss those hormones. Do you, uh, I, God, do you remember when everything was just the end of the world oh when you gosh. were a teenager? But you know, this is why you don't let teenagers get married because everybody would be getting married. Oh, hundred percent. And then immediately <laughs> divorced. Immediately, you know, um, and so the friar is like, I have an idea. I really feel like the friar is the root cause of all the problems in this. <laughs> we're gonna get into why else he's a problem. Oh yeah, after. we're about we're almost there. Oh my god. So he's like, you know what? Just <laughs> remember how I was fiddling with my little, you know, flasks earlier. <laughs> well, do I have a concoction for you, young lady? <laughs> and so he like pulls out this like elaborate vial of blue liquid and says, "This will make you dead for the next twenty four hours. Yeah, um, you won't have to get married. You'll I have would, a funeral." I would love to understand what this concoction is or what plant it comes from. That basically, it's meant to pretty much like slow her heart to the point where you cannot Tell detect it, and yeah. she would get cold because her pulse is slowed down and everything. So people assume that she's dead. Yeah. Now I know. 
that at this time, unfortunately, because like, you know, if people fell into a coma or whatever, sometimes they wouldn't always be able to tell. So there were instances of people being buried alive, which is nuts. Nuts. Um, But it is 1996 here. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't know what this whole thing is supposed to be that does this, but she takes it and apparently it works because the next day everyone shows up and they're like, oh, she's dead of a 13 year old has dropped out of an unknown cause. There's no autopsy. There's no autopsy also. (laughs) Nobody cuts her open. They have a funeral within 24 hours, like, not even. Um, And, like, this is our window that we're working with, which is 24 hours. And so, (laughs) cut to the biggest problem in this movie, which is Romeo's out... living in the desert somewhere Mantua, in like, wherever in, it's supposed to be you know the fear and loathing aesthetic comes back he's living in an rv writing like love poems it's, smoking a cigarette with his you, hawaiian shirt on did you notice how like yellow toned those oh, scenes were it so was like a, like a sepia like sepia, overtone yeah. <laughs> on top of like overlaid over yeah. the whole thing i was like whoa it's so yellow jeez i know um it was great visually you yeah. know he's just kind of chilling and he's like you but know, he's in like a, a trailer park in the middle of a field and there are sheep and i don't <laughs> understand why i don't know he's gone to the other end of the world or something uh, I don't know where in the U.S. or in L.A. there is a desert with sheep and a trailer park. But anyway, if yeah. somebody finds out, please email us. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you just see a courier trying to like leave this very urgent letter. And all we could keep saying was, why didn't he pick up the phone? Oh my god, yeah. You can you could get away with this at the time that the play was originally written because obviously yeah. you would have had to send a letter by like a courier pretty much who would have had to bring a physical person to bring it yep. to another area to find him. And if they couldn't find him, I could understand the miscommunication and the misdirection. However, if you choose to update to the 90s, there's no phone in his crappy little trailer? I don't believe that. Come on. But not only that, like, the second that Balthazar finds out that Jules has kicked the bucket, yeah. and he's, like, all on his way to see Romeo, like, I'm there in 15 minutes. And he you're also like, doesn't pick up the phone. I know. Like, and so, meanwhile, this friar is like, oh, I don't think that Romeo got the memo. <laughs> so then there's this strange montage he's of him contacting on the phone with the post office. Yes, he has a phone. Oh okay, God. people, like, he does have a phone and there are phone capabilities yep. in this universe because that was my first thought was maybe he didn't pick up the phone because maybe in this universe there's no phone. Yeah, but maybe. No. Then there's this entire montage almost like from, like, um, a Christmas movie where he's, like, contacting the... Uh, post office and she's like no sorry we couldn't get somebody there on time and then he's like oh dear this is going to cause some problems <laughs> I'm like meanwhile like Romeo is like coming to kill himself and like find his Juliet, his Juliet and- who he thinks is dead because his friend yeah. Balthazar showed up to tell him and meanwhile yeah, yeah that's it you've got the friar at the post office like I'm gonna write again <laughs> I'm just going to write this again and see if it gets to him on time. And he's like, oh, no, we only have one hour before Juliet wakes up. And you're like, wow. (laughs) One hour and you are still doing this. What are you doing? Uh, Anyway, so then then you pointed this out. He gets to the church where she has the most elaborate funeral setup ever. It's it's such a fire hazard. It's so bad. I said to Megan that when I die, this is <laughs> what I wanted to look. I wanted to be this extra because you know why not? Yeah, sure. Uh, 
<laughs> it just, but really, honestly, you know what? It's a good thing that he got there when he did, because I'm pretty sure if she'd been left there for the rest of the night, one of those candles would have burned down. <laughs> she would have died anyway. It would have ignited everything, yeah. and she would have just died anyway. Oh, my God. It's so many, so many candles. None of them are in candle holders, by the way. No, none of them. No, it wouldn't look as extra if yeah. they did that. So then he walks down this aisle, and it takes him a solid, like, 30 minutes oh my to get God. down. I had time to go pee. <laughs> she did as well. I was like, do you want me to stop the movie? And she's like, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> and I think he'd only gone like two steps up the aisle by the time he came back. He wasn't even all the way there. <laughs> and he gets to Juliet, who's visibly dead. He's like, he says his little mumble mumble. And as I said, if he had just had a little bit longer of a monologue, he would have probably... Not died, but, um... Yeah, and I know it's meant to happen this way, but God, it's so frustrating to watch him, like, (laughs) to go on his sad boy monologue about sad boy things. (laughs) He gets it from, he gets it from some other guy, is about to drink it while her fingers are twitching, her eyelids are twitching (laughs) open, and she's opening her eyes and is about to be like, hey, also, she could have piped up, like, half a second earlier. She literally says Romeo when he's, like, tipped the poison yeah, backwards he's, like, already. like, the poison. She's like, ooh, that looks good. I'm quite parched. Can I have a bit of that, please? Like, and then he's immediately like, ugh. Also immediately starts to die. Okay, yeah. so I don't claim to know anything about poisons, but I do feel like it would take a few minutes because it's got to, like, hit your bloodstream properly. But also, wouldn't he have, like, you know, some other unattractive side effects oh my God, happening? Yeah. They're, never gonna, they're never going to show that, though. They will never actually show anybody what I'm sure a poisoning would really look Mm. like um to understand just how painful dying that way must be god that would be unpleasant not fun not fun at all no so So he like has a very long drawn out death where she's like kissing him being like maybe I can lick some of this poison off up your lips yeah well they totally missed her super dramatic line too because afterwards he he dies obviously right and afterwards she is all is she's miserable she ugly cries a little bit totally understandable totally. and yeah. then takes his gun to shoot herself but of course you know in the play she took his sword to mm. like or his dagger or something to stab mm. herself and she goes oh happy dagger this is thy sheath and then she stabs herself it's very dramatic and over yeah. the top and they didn't do it and then she just shot herself in the head and i was a little bit disappointed by that i, I get that and that's fair um i mean wouldn't have worked so well in the context, um, but I'm I'm glad that she shot herself given the amount of guns that were in this movie. Like, if she had whipped out a dagger at the end, it would have just really thrown everything off, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, it wouldn't have, it, yeah, to be fair, it wouldn't have really made any sense. Yeah. You know, they, yeah, and then of course, obviously, after that, everybody's just miserable. Yes. Everybody's lost their only child, basically. And that's what brings the families together, I kind think, of. the insinuation, You right? don't show it that much. I mean, like, the prince is just kind of like, you guys are idiots. You see what yeah. happened because of what you decided to do, so... Yeah, but it's not, it's unclear. It's just sort of, it ends on, like, a miserable note. Again, the outro prologue, like, epilogue is done by a newscaster as well. The same thing of, you know, like, never was there a story of more woe than that of Juliet and her Romeo. Everybody needs to keep in mind as well that this is a tragedy, so they're going to play up on the fact that it's a tragedy. And if it's a tragedy, the lead characters all die. That's how Shakespeare works. (laughs) Right. And so well done. I thought that the outro was great, um... You know, we know that the whole story of Romeo and Juliet is, in a nutshell, ridiculous. But I did love this movie adaptation of it because I I felt that the characters were actually believable in this one. Um, Yeah. And that's not always easy to do, especially with, you know, a story like this. Yeah, there's a... 
a certain amount of realism that comes with it. And now that could be also adapting it, like upgrading, Mm. you know, to modern, updating to modern times. Mm -hmm. That kind of helps a little bit with that. But it's also, it's the performances. It's the Mm. actors too. Ironically, you know, I was reading some stuff and it turns out that um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes did not get along very well when they were shooting the film, which you wouldn't think, which probably just shows that they were both very talented people. Yeah, absolutely. Because apparently he likes to prank people a lot on set and she didn't, she wasn't there for it at all so she thought he was immature even though he was like seven or eight years older than her and she thought and he thought she was too uptight apparently well there you go yeah which is interesting Interesting. (laughs) so I guess with all that said the question is was the book better god it's tough because there are things that I prefer and that I like from both of them I want to say in this case that the movie was better, which is not a way that I usually feel, which of course I love, this is like the first film that we're doing. And of course this is, I'm immediately like, yes, the movie was better. But uh, yeah, in this particular case, because there was some more like modern goings on happening and a little bit less of a whiny Juliet, I found Mm. Claire Danes did a much better job than that because when I hate, when I read the play, I hated that about Mm. her um and you know sad boy is sad boy but at least he's sad boy who does a really good job with what he's doing so I think that I think all of those aspects together helped um you know it's a beautiful film to watch the way that it shot all of the colors the artistry of it um even how incredibly dramatic it is the music's fantastic yeah we didn't even talk about that their whole scene where they when they first see each other and that song Mm. kissing or kissing you is playing and it's so friggin beautiful it's like this really beautiful ballad from the 90s that I heard in like a ton of other stuff um Mm -hmm. but it was really popular for this film just all of that kind of stuff yeah it just uh yeah I don't know I think that's what I'm going with I too would agree um my favorite thing about Romeo and Juliet in the play is the it's the words it's it's the symbolism and the imagery in the words and you know those famous lines that we love so much and you know, whenever you see kind of a modern adaptation, there's always that worry that they're they're going to lose the beauty of the language. Um, but because this adaptation had all of the original dialogue, um, I have to say that I thought that the movie was actually better this time. Yep. It had everything, so 10 out of 10. There you go. <laughs> But we want to know what you guys thought about Romeo and Juliet or what you think about Romeo plus Juliet. Uh, Do you love it? Do you hate it? Are there too many Hawaiian shirts? Are there not enough Hawaiian shirts? You can head over and let us know on Instagram at fullybookedca. Check out our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash book was way better. And you can keep up with all of our coverage for Classics Month and everything else we have coming down the pipe over at fullybooked.ca. But until next time, guys, keep on reading. (laughs) 